The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. I'm thrilled to be with you today, and I'm so excited about what Jesus has to say to us. We're going to look at Acts 8, but in preparation for Acts 8, I believe he wants us to look at Matthew 28. (laughs) So if you'll open your scriptures, please, to Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first, on the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. And he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Then the eleven disciples, verse 16, went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came, and he spoke to them, All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, we invite you to come this morning, and we invite you as our host. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, that today all we could see is the beauty of the Father and the glory of the Son. We pray that, Lord Jesus, you would open up the words of Scripture to our hearts and that when we leave this morning, we will never, ever, ever be the same women again. Turn us right side up and turn the worlds in which we live and the families and homes and marriages and offices and schools right side up because God has met with us. Thank you for the incredible power of one person who's fully God's and the way you can use one person who's all yours to touch a whole wide world for Jesus. So Lord, today would you open our eyes to see a vision of who you are and open our eyes to see a vision of all you want us to become in you. And then Lord, would you fill us with joy and take away our fear so that we run like Philip did and we run like the two Marys did. We run to tell people about the glory of knowing Jesus. So we worship you together as sisters this morning meeting at the feet of Jesus in your powerful, mighty, beautiful name. Amen. 
I remember when we lived in Great Britain for a couple years, and Katie Beth and Cricket were little, and Al was in graduate school, like some of your husbands. So I was like a graduate school widow, can you identify? <laughs> and he was just bashing away on that PhD. So I was alone. I didn't know anybody in England. I'd met one couple, so I was just there. Well, we moved next door to a, to, a, we got there late, so we moved into a house on Barton Road, and it was a townhouse. The next year we were in student housing, but that was all gone. And so I was desperate to make friends. Have you ever been there? Desperate. So the lady next door was Indonesian, and her husband worked for the British consul. And so her name was Judith Payne. And Judith invited me for tea. And ladies, I was elated. And I said, oh. And so I went to tea. Well, I, we had a lovely time, and I took the girls, and we had a good time. Well, I came home, fixed supper, and then tucked the kids in bed and read, and then went to bed with Al. And in the middle of the night, Jesus woke me up. Has he ever done that for you? He woke me up. He said, Bethy, he said, Did, what happened today? And I said, well, I went to tea, Jesus. He said, well, are you ashamed of me? Well, no. He said, well, I didn't hear you mention one word to me, to the Judith at tea. I said, well, Jesus... Jesus, I will. I just, could you give me time? I said, I don't know anybody. I'd like one friend. I just didn't want to rush out of the chute and overwhelm her before we even got started. I mean, I just like to use a little tact. He said, oh, oh, he said, I understand. But he said, I still think you were kind of ashamed of me. I said, well, I didn't mean to be. But he said, you went to Bible study in the morning. Could you not have just brought in and when she asked you what you did, I noticed you didn't even mention you'd gone to Bible study. I said, well, you're right, and I'm sorry. And I said, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I want you to invite her to tea tomorrow at your house. I said, Jesus, I just met the lady. And then he said, I want you to tell her about me. Ladies, I didn't sleep all night. I said, Jesus, do we have to just come on so full force just right away? Can't we just kind of drip into it? He said, no, I want you to tell her tomorrow about me. So I didn't sleep all night, and poor Al didn't sleep all night. When he woke up, when he finally straggled out of bed, he said, what was your problem? And I told him, I said, what should I do? He said, you should obey. He said, go invite that lady so we can both sleep tonight. <laughs> I said, that's not what I wanted to hear. And so I tried to read, I tried to pray, and as I knelt at my little prayer chair for my morning devotion, he said, I don't want you to read or pray, I want you to obey. So I just, with fear, like our little story says here, I went next door and I said, Miss Judith, would you like to come for tea this afternoon? Yes, she would. So I was just very sad. <laughs> So I didn't even know how to put on a proper English tea, but I struggled with that, and she came in. But the Lord so worked on my heart all day that the minute the precious lady walked in the door, just coming into the living room, I began to talk to her. I said, Judith, yesterday I went to tea, and I never told you about my best friend, and his name is Jesus. And he's changed my life, and he lives in my heart, and I just talk like a little stream. And the poor little lady came in, sat down like this. And then after I finished speaking and I plopped down next to her, she said to me, she said, in your religion, she was Indonesian, is there anything about life after death? And I said, 
Oh my, there's everything. Jesus is not a dead leader. He's a resurrected savior. She said, I have a rare disease, a blood disease, and I am afraid to die, and I am afraid to leave my three little boys because I don't know where I'll be and if I will ever see them again. And you said his name is Jesus. Can he take care of me in life or in death? And can he take care of my three little boys? I said, oh my goodness, yes. And I told her all about the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ and the glory of knowing Jesus Christ who can take care of a sick mama and three little boys in life or in death. So when, I le when she left, and when I left that house at the end of nine months, right before I left, Judith Payne called. And she said, Beth, I think I'm ready to meet him. We came over for tea one more time. And then we prayed together, but it had always been in English. Very brilliant. She spoke eight languages, and her English was fluent. One time she went to a party with her husband at the embassy and came home and was speaking Arabic. And he said, you know I don't speak Arabic. Why are you speaking that? She said, well, the last person I talked to was speaking Arabic. <laughs> but she was brilliant. So she said, when we got ready to pray, all of a sudden she said, Beth, I have to talk in my heart Indonesian language. I can't use any other. It has to be my heart, my soul language. And she met him. And not only did she meet him as her savior, Jesus restored her blood. And she's still alive and I still hear from her. God came. Now when Jesus begins to put nudges on our hearts, it is not because he's mean and cruel. That night when I went to bed, I was in awe of God. In awe of the gentle nudges upon my soul that wouldn't go away the night before because God had an assignment for me that was to share the glory of Jesus. And on the last day, Jesus came to two women, the two precious beloved Marys that I love, and they came to the tomb seeking the dead Jesus. But when they got there, there were the angels, and they were sitting on the tombstones. And do you know Amy Carmichael in her Edges of This Ways? She has one of her daily devotionals that talks about Jesus is the one that can take difficult circumstances and just make them seats for angels. Isn't that beautiful? So that's difficult circumstance. The angels are sitting there. Jesus had already rolled the stone away. And he rolled the stone away. And then the angels said to them, don't be afraid. And as you and I come and meet together this morning, he is telling us again, don't be afraid. Resurrection life is ours. Resurrection presence is ours in the person of Jesus when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, don't be afraid. He said, I know who you seek. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He's risen. Come and see the place where he lay. And then he says, go and tell. Go and tell his disciples, he is going before you. There you will see him. And that is what Jesus is saying to us this morning. He says, don't be afraid. Come and see the resurrection. Seek Jesus. Come and see the place where he lay. 
and then arise and go and tell and share what Jesus has done. The resurrected Jesus has done in your life and what the resurrected Jesus can do in the lives of other people. And then he said, he is going before you. When you and I share Jesus and Jesus gently nudges our hearts, Jesus' presence has gone before. And as you and I share the living word and the presence of Jesus, we will begin to know him in new dimensions. That night when I crawled into bed, I never have been the same again because I met him as I shared the good news with a woman and responded in obedience to the nudges of God on my heart. I want to know today, is God nudging your heart? I want to know today, have you been filled with his Holy Spirit so that God's presence is alive and well? And even as you begin to share with him, share him with others, there will be fear at times. In 10 verses, three times, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't let be the crippling fear get hold of you. But in fear and great joy, the women ran to tell the disciples what Jesus had said. And as they walked in obedience, not walked, they ran in obedience. Who did they meet? They met Jesus himself. And he rejoiced. And he said again, don't be afraid. Go and tell. And when you tell, they will see me. Isn't that precious? It's in our telling that they see him. Then he says, right before he goes into heaven and the ascension, he says, all power is given in the name of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. And then there's the incredible promise of the presence of God. As you and I go forward, God wants to go before us and God wants to get us as women ready so the great commission of God burns in our hearts. This isn't just a great commission for those that are going to Korea like Sunghee. It's not just a great commission for Laura going to Hong Kong or for Rahab going back to Kenya. This is the great commission that is to burn in every single heart of every single spirit-filled believer. We are to have all power, whether we're going to Walmart or whether we're teaching our children at home and putting them to bed. We're to know Jesus and we're to share Jesus. I want to know today, does he burn inside your soul so that you can't live without sharing Jesus? Has Jesus done something in your heart that you would rather do anything that's sin against him, even at times if you struggle with obedience like I did, and I still do at times where we struggle with obedience, but then we say, God, I have to obey you whether they like me or not or whether I ever have a friend in the world or not. I must tell them I love you. Acts 8 is a beautiful illustration of this. We see in Acts 8 a man who is full, led, empowered, and anointed by the Spirit of Jesus. We see in Acts 8, in the person of Philip, another one of those snapshots on the leadership of the early church. We saw Stephen last week and the magnificent life of Stephen because he was a man that was all God's. We see it worked out in Philip. One gave his life in death. One gave his life in living to the Lord Jesus. And so we see that in Philip. We notice, first of all, about Philip from Acts 6. Remember, he's one of the deacons, and he has a servant heart. So that if you and I are going to be available for the purposes of God, one of the marks of the spirit-filled man or woman or child or teenager is that there is a servant heart. 
so that you and I can change diapers with joy and not believe, believe it's beneath our dignity. We can wash dishes when nobody's there. We can do the unseen task and do it with joy because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And before God can use us for anything great or big, God wants to know, are you and I willing to wash dishes for him, change diapers for him, and empty trash for him? So that there's a sanctification that comes about every single area of our life. Is that not a beautiful word for us as women? Every part of it can be a testimony to him. And every part of it can be something that we give back to him. He wants to use us, and we have to have a servant heart. And Philip had his servant heart. He cared for widows and waited tables, just like Stephen. It's interesting, though, that Philip also had an available heart. Because the minute that Stephen died, we noticed that persecution came to the church. And the church was scattered. And the Jews, had, the believers had not left Jerusalem or Judea. And what was the Great Commission in Acts 1.8? It says... All powers given in heaven and earth go and make disciples of all nations in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And the disciples had been right there in Jerusalem and in Judea and never wiggled. So the Lord had to stir him up. He said, there's more than just Jerusalem and Judea. And so as the persecution came on the church and Saul is beginning to wreak havoc with the people of God and carrying them off to prison, they began to scatter. And it was like seed that was just poured out over the whole countryside. But there was one place that no one wanted to go. And it was Samaria. It was a place where they were half Jews and half Gentiles. And when the northern kingdom had been taken over and, and the Assyrians had come in from Samaria itself, they had deported 27,000 Jews. And then they put in other peoples. And they were kind of all mixed up together from all over the Middle East. And the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea despised them. And the feeling was mutual. But there was one who went where no one else would go. <laughs> and ladies, there are very, very, very few in that category. And he went to Samaria. Remember Samaria is where they said to Jesus, please don't stay here. Samaria had rejected the gospel little Samaritan woman with the five husbands and the man that wasn't her husband, she received him, but the rest of them had rejected him. And who went there? Philip. And he began to preach Jesus. And do you know what happened? It was God's hour for Samaria, and revival came. The people responded. Demons were cast out. People were healed. And it says in verse 8, there was great joy in the city. He was available. He not only had a servant heart, he had an available heart. And the revival was so great that the people of Samaria believed in Jesus and wanted to be baptized. So Philip baptized him. And then the word went to the church and, and to the disciples and the apostles in Jerusalem. And they said, we've got revival going on in Samaria. And they could not believe that these half Jews, half Gentiles were able to believe in Jesus. And that the gospel was that big. 
They said, well, we've got to send somebody to check this out. So they sent the two top men, Peter and John. And when they got there, they realized that it was legitimate and the people had really been transformed. And then they put their hands on him and they received the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are getting a vision that God's vision is bigger than just us four, no more, that God has a world on his heart and that God wants even the Samaritans to find God. And I want to ask you today, are there places in your life that you don't want to witness? You don't want to pair the cross. You don't want to go there because it's inconvenient and it's not easy. Is there a family member that you don't want to share Jesus with in Jesus' time and in Jesus' way? You're afraid or you just think, I don't want to bear the gaff of that. And Jesus is looking for those of us who will say, I am available for you anytime, any place, anywhere, dear Jesus. My life is a blank sheet and my name is on the bottom. God is looking for some world changers today. He is looking for some women who are utterly gods and say, God, you are my agenda, you are my God, and you are my life. There is nothing held back, nothing held on to, and nothing between. And God had that kind of person in Philip so that the start of the Gospels was Jerusalem and Judea, but one man took it to Samaria, and God came. God came. But then, the amazing thing is he had a hungry heart. He had a hearing heart. Because in the middle of the revival, in verse 26, what do we notice? An angel of God comes to him. And what does he say? He says, Philip, I want you to leave the revival. Ladies, I would have said, what? Lord, it was hard enough to get here, and now I'm hearing your blessing, and people are finding you. You can't mean you want me to go to Gaza Road. He said, and he wanted him to go to Gaza Road, and it was desert. Nobody in their right mind goes to a Gaza Road in the desert, especially with a revival going on. It doesn't make any sense. But what does the word say? He heard him, and then he arose and went. The Spirit said, Arise and go, and he arose and went. And he beheld a man of Ethiopia. And the bio sketch for the Ethiopian is incredible. He was an Ethiopian from the court of Candace, who was the secretary of the treasury with a hungry heart. Now, ladies, you know, sometime in my life, the Lord hasn't sent an angel. But there have been times in my life when I have been hesitant to witness for him and to share Jesus because of fear and I didn't want people not to like me. And the Lord at times has used many things, but I remember one time, many times he's used my very own children. I remember when we lived in Massachusetts and one day the Avon lady came. <laughs> and so we talked about Avon and when she was leaving, all of a sudden I said, ah, once again, I never said anything to her about Jesus. Well, Katie Beth and Cricket were standing there, and they looked up at me and said, Katie Beth said, Mom? She said, I said, Kate, I just said it in passing. Well, and then so we, we went to the grocery, the little 7-Eleven, the only grocery on the peninsula we lived. And she said, all oh, we went after about 4 o'clock, and there was the Avon lady who was the cashier. So Katie Beth was with me and she pulls on my skirt and she goes, Mom, there is the Avon lady. You can tell her about Jesus. And I thought, oh, and it was full of people in the 7-Eleven getting milk, you know, for supper. I said, oh, 
She goes, Mom, it's the lady. You can tell her she can't. I said, well, honey, honey, this isn't a really good time because everybody's here and you know, and once again, my excuses I gave to her and she said, so she just didn't quite understand that, my little angel. You know, it's just like that the Lord sent to prod me. So I said, honey, you know what would be better? The next time she comes to sell Avon, that's when I'll talk to her. Well, she put that in her little computer and was sad. I could tell she was sad, but I didn't say anything. Ever been there? Went home. A couple weeks later, there's a knock at my door. Katie Beth opens the door. She opens it wide. She goes, Mama. She runs upstairs. It is the Avon lady. <laughs> you can tell her about Jesus right now. And I said, oh, my goodness. And then I said, Jesus, help me. And we went downstairs, and she was just talking all about Avon. And Katie Beth sat there next to me just as close. And she goes, Mom, they're not saying one thing. And I said, just give me a minute, honey. Just give me. Then she waited a minute more, and she goes, Mom, you're still not saying anything. I said, well, honey, I'm trying to just listen first. You have to be tactful. Then finally she stamped her little foot, and she goes, I'm going for your Bible right now. So I could just see my big black Bible coming down those stairs to the Avon lady. She goes stamping up those stairs, and in a few minutes the lady's just still talking. I was praying at that time because I knew I had to go on record for the sake of those Cricket couldn't talk quite yet, so she was right there. They were both watching me. And the Lord, my Bible didn't come down. My Amy Carmichael, edges of his ways, came down. She, hand, she didn't know the difference. She handed me that blue edges of his ways, and she said, Now, Mama, you tell that lady about Jesus now. And so I turned to that lady and said, Honey, my little girl is distraught because I haven't shared Jesus with you. And I just shared Jesus to the Avon lady. And the ladies, we never saw the Avon lady again. <laughs> so it's not always successful. <laughs> but we were faithful and the Lord sent an angel in the name of a little girl and your children, as they're quickened by the Spirit, will begin to say, Mama, how come you're not saying something there? Or it'll be the tension of your heart in the middle of the night or the tension of your soul. You can't get somebody off your heart. Those are divine nudges from the eternal Jesus because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And everybody is entitled to hear. Do you know there are two billion people on the face of God's globe, even today, that know nothing of Easter, let alone Christmas? Two billion that don't know the name of Jesus. And Philip wasn't like I was. Philip, when the Spirit said, leave the revival and go to a desert strip, he arose and went. He was an instant obeyer. And when he got there, just like Matthew talked about, he was, God had gone before and prepared the way. And as he went, Philip met not only an Ethiopian, but he met Jesus on the way because the Spirit of God so quickened Philip. And as you and I respond in obedience, God's Spirit will go before us as we witness, and then God's Spirit will minister to our own hearts as we share him. And we will be stronger in Jesus because we have shared him. And he went, and the first Gentile believer was an African. I love it. The continent of Africa. He was an Ethiopian, and he was a statesman. 
and he had a hungry heart. I want to know, do you have a hungry heart? He was so hungry that he had gone to great expense and taken time and inconvenienced himself to be able to go to Jerusalem because he must have heard about the God of the Jewish people. And he'd gone to the Jerusalem to worship in Jerusalem. And it, as he was there, God alone saw the man with a hungry heart. And as he's sitting there, he had also brought back a scroll of Isaiah. And he took this willing, available man named Philip, and he brought him to him. And he said, and his spirit said to Philip, go and overtake that chariot. And Philip ran to obey. He ran to obey. No wonder God chose this one man to take the word to not only Samaria to be the ends of the earth. He was an instant obeyer. And he ran to obey. And he heard him reading Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I unless someone guides me? And there's a teachableness about the Ethiopian, even though he's a statesman. And he said, and he said, can you come up in my chariot and sit with me? And he made room in his chariot for Philip to come and to be able to open the bread of life to him. And ladies, do you know how that speaks to me? God isn't looking for us to make room in our chariots, but he's saying, will you make room in your time, in your agenda, in your week to meet with me every day around the word and also to meet with me corporately with other women or other people around the word of God? He had a teachable spirit. And this hungry, teachable man said, what is he talking about? Is it himself or another? And the beautiful thing about Philip is he knew the word of God so well, even though he was a layman like Stephen. He took that passage from Isaiah 53 and verse 35 says, beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus. I want to know today if you were with someone who took you to Isaiah 53, do you know the word of Noel enough that you could open up that passage of scripture and teach Jesus? And the purpose of all Bible study is not information. The purpose of Bible study is transformation. And the purpose of Bible study is to meet Jesus so that you and I, he led him to Jesus. I remember when I was beginning to work at the altar and I didn't know how, and I was afraid. And I said to my father one day, I said, how do you pray at the altar? What do you do? He said, Jesus will lead you, and, you'll, and it just won't be quite as scary every time you do it. I said, that's not very helpful. <laughs> so then he said, just ask Jesus. And as I began to pray with women, one day that Jesus said to me, stop talking so much. You talk way too much. He said, ask me before you meet with every woman at the altar, say, what is Jesus saying to you? And then ask me for his place in scripture for you to lead, for me to lead you to the place in scripture that I want to talk to them from. Because the transformation comes from his word, not from my talking. It is the power of the word of God. And Philip took, Philip took the place where he's reading in Isaiah 53, and he preached Jesus. And then he had not only a teachable heart, but he had a believing heart. That precious African said, what hinders me from being baptized? <laughs> Philip said, well, do you believe without your heart? This precious testimony, 
I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Philip goes, nothing hinders you from being baptized. And that African said, right here is water. And so Philip took that believing African and baptized him in the water. And then the spirit came and caught Philip away. And Philip went preaching all the way to Zotus till he got to his hometown in Caesarea, preaching the whole way. But the African went back to Ethiopia rejoicing in his soul. He had a rejoicing heart because he had met God. That hunger, that teachable heart, that heart that was believing, left rejoicing and full of the presence of Jesus. And tradition has it when they got to Ethiopia and they felt like Thomas was the first missionary that got there, they already had a church there that came from this precious, beloved God wants to use you and I to be soul winners and disciple makers. But we're afraid. And also we want people to like us. Or we've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's no boldness in us. There's no hunger for the word. We don't know the word. We're a mission field instead of a missionary. And God is looking for those of us who will get so serious about God today that you and I become available for the purposes of God so that God can lead us to hungry, teachable people that would long to believe about Jesus so they could go home to their nations, their countries, their families, their workplaces, their marriages, rejoicing in him. But he has to have us tell him. I want to know. Are you like Stephen? Am I? Are we like the Ethiopian? Jesus is looking for this category of people today. I remember one time, one of my little ones was in second grade. And we had a good news club. And we had the wordless book at the good news club dark page for sin read for the blood of Jesus through child evangelism fellowship our hearts could be white as snow and then green for growth and so we went through it I, we had about 25 kids running through my house at that time so we had good news clubs so they could find Jesus well we gave everybody a little wordless book well my second grader took the wordless book to school and she took it out in her little purse, and then she shared it with her little friend. And came home and said, Mama, my little friend Jenny asked Jesus into her heart. I said, well, how did she do that, honey? She said, through my wordless book. And so we began to pray every night in our devotions for that little friend. Well, the little friend moved. And two years later, one day she came home, she's in fourth grade, and she said, Mama, do you know my friend's back? And I think we should invite her to Sunday school. Oh, I said, okay. Well, can you get her phone number? Well, she didn't have a phone, so it was a little difficult to get her. Finally, we tracked down a friend, and then we couldn't find her house, so we 
Finally, we ended up going and picking her up for Sunday school. We were late. Sunday school was half over, church over by the time we got there. wasn't convenient, but we went and got a little friend. When we came back, we went up to the door, took Jenny to the door. And the daddy was there, and all the family was in the living room. Totally unsaved. Nobody went to church except Jenny with us. And she said, and the daddy called through the door, tell that woman out there to come in and sit down. And I thought, oh, am I the woman? <laughs> so I said, oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> so we went in and sat down, and my little fourth grader was just right there by my side with her little purse. So we went in and sat down, and she said, I want to know why you took my little girl to church. And I said, well, and I told him about the wordless book and about the prayer in second grade and what Jesus had done. So well, I've seen difference in her. And then he said, I got a question for you. Are you going to tell me if there's a good man who just loves his wife and is faithful to her and tries to work hard and put butter on the table and bread on the table, that if that man would die, God would just damn him to hell? Is that what you're telling me? And I said, no, I'm not telling you anything. I said, but when you read in Scripture, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way that any of us go into heaven is if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then we'll be saved. And he said, I don't have anything to tell you, but that's what the Bible says about Jesus. And ladies, I didn't have a Bible, even though I'd just been to church. But my little fourth grader opens up her little purse and pulls out a Gideon New Testament and says, Mama, here's a Bible. I think you need it now. <laughs> I keep one in my purse all the time now, ladies. I learned my lesson. Because you never know when God's going to come. And so, yeah, I, so I read in Romans 3.23 and 6.23 and went through the Roman road of salvation. And he said, I said, do you want to pray? And that big, strong man began to weep. In front of all his family, he said, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And do you know what? He was saved. And then his wife got saved. And then the older brother and the younger sister got saved. And the whole family knows Jesus today because of one little girl and a wordless book and another little seven-year-old girl. And God wanted to touch a family for him. And you think, oh, it's just one. But Philip started and went to Samaria, and a revival came. And then he started, and he touched one man, and he opened up the ends of the world for God. Run up and down through the streets of Wilmore, Kentucky. Search through her squares and see if you can find one woman who seeks truth and does what's right, and I will forgive the city. God is looking for you and me today.
Are you full of the Spirit? Are you living in an intimacy with Him? So when He says, could you call her? Could you write them? Could you invite them for dinner? Could you just share me right here in Walmart? You and I would say, yes, Jesus, here I am. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You alone are worthy. We have the words of life and truth for us, for our own lives, for our homes, for our marriages, for our children, for life now with a capital L. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then, Lord Jesus, for life that is eternal. And this is eternal life that you might know me. And Jesus, that is eternal life that we know you. Jesus, would you do in our hearts what you did in Philip and in Stephen? Fill us so full of a holy boldness in our souls and with such an identification with Jesus Christ that, Lord, every place we go, the fragrance and sweetness of beauty of Jesus just shines all over. Make his sloshing over Christians full of the glory of God so that those that are hungry can say, can you tell me how to find him? And we can say, oh, yes. His name is Jesus, and he is the way. He is truth and he is life, and he alone is worthy. Lord, would you do something today to turn us right side up and transform us? In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at tituswomen.org.